We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly interview show where top chess players, authors, content creators, and accomplished amateurs discuss their careers and share stories and chess improvement tips. Perpetual Chess is a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and we'd like to give special thanks to our presenting chess education sponsor, Chessable.com. For more information about the show, you can go to perpetualchesspod.com. But without further ado, let's get to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We are joined this week by a rising star in the world of professional chess. He is 18 years of age. He's in the top 10 in the world under the age of 21. In March of 22, he also entered the top 100 in the world overall. He's won many scholastic championships. He was the 2021 World Open champion. He is a chessable author, a Twitch streamer, and now a Perpetual Chess guest. So I'd like to welcome Grandmaster Hans Neiman to the show. Hans, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited, man. So you've been so busy. We've been trying to make this interview happen, but you're like quite the globetrotter. You're playing in the Air Things Master. You're playing in the Spring Classic. You're a reporter at the World Championship. Um, so globetrotting and playing tons of chess and uh, gaining tons of rating. Where, where do you? Um, where are you joining us from, Hans? I'm joining from St. Louis. Um, I finished uh, an event here. And uh, St. Louis, they have sort of uh, 
the club has a row of houses that they let the, some grandmasters stand. So I'm currently in St. Louis, uh, thankful, thankful to the hospitality of the St. Louis Chess Club, and uh, just staying here uh, to finish recording my chessable course, play the next Champions Chess Tour event, and then after that I'll be back to my uh, world travels. Excellent, your your vagabondish ways, which which, and we will be discussing all of these topics. But that's interesting to hear that you're staying at one of the Grandmaster houses. Of course, I've interviewed many people over the years who are the the uh, Grandmaster in residence, the people who come and and uh, give lectures and do lessons at the St. Louis Chess Club, and of course are compensated for their time there. So, are you doing that in a official capacity right now, Hans, or is it just no. because you were there? No, I'm here unofficially. Um, not not doing any of official work for the club. Um, just that they, uh, I, I asked and uh, they sort of have, but is, and it had an empty house. So uh, who better to fill up that? <laughs> yeah, excellent. And of course, St. Louis, one of the strongest chess cities in the world. I'm sure there's some other title players around. So have you been getting any study sessions in with any of the locals there? I wouldn't say that I've had any study sessions, but um I've run into Fabi uh, one too many times, <laughs> just on, on the street in the club. Uh, I think that seeing him, okay, my, I can say my neighbors, right? That uh, I, I'm pretty sure that Dominguez, Aronian, when he is here, and Fabi are, I think, the, the, my direct neighbors, Aronian and Dominguez, and Fabi is uh, a close uh, third there so and you bumped into certainly... him in the chess club was this during the event or just uh... yeah it was at the end of the event and then uh last night when i was walking to pick up my food i, I saw fabi uh and some people i'll not name huh i mean uh, out, of, out of respect for, for for his chess privacy yes people um, who but, okay yes but uh there's definitely, I, I've seen things I shouldn't have seen in St. Louis. I'll say that. <laughs> well, what happens there stays there, apparently. Um, but that's interesting because Fabi, you know, obviously he's often there for official events, but I wasn't sure how much time he spent there, um, you know, away from the board. But as you say, it's not really our place to uh, speculate about about where, where people who are not our guests on the show spend their time. So let's get to, um, let's get to your chess, Hans. So again, so many interesting topics to cover, but I think for a lot of people listening to this podcast, you know, we, we spend a lot of time um, pontificating about how we might get better at chess. And you made an absolutely insane jump from 2021 to 2022. Your rating was about 2480 FIDE at the beginning of last calendar year, and you're over 2640 now. I mean, that's just extremely, you know, um, extremely rare feat when you're already at such a high level. So uh, how do you reflect on this year and a half, Hans? I mean, I know you've got tournaments fresh in your mind, but when you step back, how do you reflect on it? Well, I guess you could say it was a successful year. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, it was, you know, when, when, people, when I look back on it, I definitely am happy. But I'm also thinking, you know, it could have happened faster. Uh, but maybe that's the, the greedy side in me, right? But there, there, it was, it was for, from a mental level, I think it was one of the most challenging. Like the, the mental strength that I had to have, the, the uh, traveling um, so long alone um, with COVID and, and all of that that entailed, I think was such a, an experience um, that I think it really just helped me grow as a chess player but also gave me just immense mental strength um, and fortitude that would really help 
uh, my chess game as well. So I think, you know, holistically, it's obviously a very successful year. And I hope that this year is even better. Um, uh, but I, I think it was, you could definitely say it was life-changing uh, in, in many respects. Uh, so I definitely cannot complain. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I can only imagine. Um, I'm going to be referring to, of course, you you wrote an article for Chess Life magazine last year uh, that I quite enjoyed. And you also did a, an accompanying interview on cover stories uh, with Chess of with Chess Life with John Hartman uh, that I recommend listeners listen to. And we, we're not going to rehash so much from that as, as much as sort of pick it up because you've had such an eventful year. But I was struck as you wrote and talked about that already in your t- late teenage years, uh, late high school years, you're living on your own in New York City, uh, something quite rare, obviously, for a teenager. And then, as you say, during COVID age to to um, to keep chess travel and being a young chess professional on top of that is is, is quite quite an endeavor. So do you find, first of all, do you find the chess more challenging or the life stuff to be doing this stuff at, at um, such a young age, Hans? I'd say the, the chess is the most challenging um, for me. I think that uh, progressing in the world of professional chess is very difficult and requires um, a lot of just, it's, it's uh, the, the time that I'm investing is, is upwards of a minimum 10 to 12 hours a day. And I'm working very hard. I'm not really um, have much of a social life, you could say, or I don't indulge in any really distractions other than other than chess. So you could say that there's some sacrifices that uh, chess success entails. Um, you know, you can choose to make those sacrifices and choose not to make those sacrifices. Um, I guess it sort of depends on how committed you are. But um, yeah, back to your question, I, I would say that. The life stuff, I think, is, is is not that people just sort of have a skewed reality of what's normal, and mine is just a bit different than than most people's. Right? For me, it was normal to be living alone at sixteen and uh, going to a school and working twenty, thirty hours a week as a student to sort of be financially independent from basically my sixteenth birthday. For me, it's just been normal, and it's something that I guess other people uh, find impressive, but I don't really think it's anything that special. Um, uh, but I guess other people share a different, different, different opinion there. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, count me in the impressed category and it's, um, I mean, it's amazing. Like we should mention you've given up, you, you had quite a Twitch following. I mean, I know your channel is, is still active. Like it was covering your play during the air things, classics and things of that nature, but you were making money on a, on a fast trajectory. You mentioned to John Hartman that you had turned down some deals from streaming companies, um, and not to mention when you interviewed with John, you talked about the, the possibility of going to university, um, which I am, am I correct Hans that you you're, you're just all in on chess at the moment, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All in on chess. Uh, correct. I mean, 10 to 12 hours, that pretty much says it all. So what do you, so take us through a day for everyone who's wondered if I had gone all in on chess. I mean, a lot of people of course wouldn't, wouldn't have been at your level. Um, but so, uh, when yeah, you wake I mean, up uh, and then what? <laughs> yeah, so an, an ideal day of chess without any distractions. Like recently, I've been working a lot of my chessable course, and and um, that's just been taking so much of my time. But um, I think I can look back to to a day um, when I was in New York, or let's just let's just put myself 
on some all-inclusive resorts and then let's that'll do be able to make it easier. Um, so, you know, I, I think let's say I'm in an all-inclusive resort, you know, paradise, table tennis, uh, tennis, pool, beach, you know, living the good life. I think uh, I'd wake up, let's say, around uh, 6, 7 a.m. Probably start the day with a morning swim, hour, hour and a half, some sort of exercise. Um, and then I'd probably be, um, um, uh, let's say, 10 to 12 hours of chess, uh, balanced with maybe two to three hours of physical exercise, depending on if I have people to play tennis with or people to play ping pong with, or um, ideally if I'm on my own, it'd be swimming and running and then eating at uh, what ideally take up uh, the least amount of time as possible. Um, so I can eat while I'm setting chess or doing something like that. And then um, in terms of sleep, it'd be, I guess if I'm doing 10 to 12 hours, which I usually do on any day, it just really depends how much physical exercise I'm getting based on the facilities I have access to. And then just based on the, 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 the time or distract or other, other commitments I have. But I think that's just a normal day, right? I go to sleep at like 10 or 11. Quite, quite the opposite of both the chess players, typical night owl lifestyle, let alone the like 18 year old college freshman. So it's a, uh, well, it, yeah, I can be a night owl, but I just really find that, uh, increased productivity when waking up early in the morning. Makes sense. I just find that that quiet time, and it, it, especially for exercise, is just very useful. It's just hard to like with I'm with traveling so much. It's hard to have access to like a pool and gym all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. And the ten to twelve hours of chess, Hans. What are you doing during that time? Well, it's a mix of things. Um, I, I mainly am working alone, and with some, uh, let's say, training partners, sharing some things. But you could say it's analyzing my own game, psychological analysis of myself, um, openings, calculation, and games, you know, just sort of analyzing myself, trying to optimize things in in the best way that I can to to focus my chest improvement. But I'm more looking to holistically improve. and, and, And again, the goal is to be, you know, the best in the world, right? So I have to train like uh, that. Yeah, and of course you've had amazing opportunities to play super strong players of late, uh, Ding Loren and Magnus Carlsen in the Air Things Masters, and then over the board, uh, Jeffrey Zhang and Sam Sevian and so many others in the Spring Classic. So when you play, when you get games like this, Hans, you mentioned game review. Uh, how much time are you spending on each game? And is it like you review it and then you're done, or do you review it and then come back to it and then come back to it, sort of thing? I think that uh, I, I think when you're when optimizing your training, I think it's really important to find patterns in the games and the mistakes. Um, so I, I definitely find myself looking back at games from a year ago or the past year. I had so many games last year that I have just have so much to look back on. Um, so I definitely would say that these games are obviously learning moments. But you know, when I when I have the opportunity to play against these strong players. I definitely am sort of going to fight and, and, and to learn. Um, like against Magnus, you know, I, I could have made a draw very easily uh, in my game. Like it, it was just sort of I wanted it was there. And I guess the, the foolish uh, optimist in me tried to play for a win and, and lost uh, the game. And against Ding as well, Ding was trying, to, you know, offered a, a repetition of moves three times against me and I declined them all three times. So I definitely say that uh, 
I'm uh, I, I'm prioritizing fighting chess and improving uh, than than immediate results, uh, which might lead to maybe slight plateaus. But I think as I've seen in the, the previous year, uh, fighting and learning from experiences is the most effective form of improvement for my in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you're you're proving it with with your results in the past year. Now, of course, playing in these online events, it's a um, slightly different atmosphere than than uh, OTB, and you've had the opportunity to do both against uh, elite players. So I'm curious, Hans, sitting down, uh, air quotes across the board from Magnus, some, for something like the Air Things Masters, does that feel different than when you're sitting across from an elite player um, over the board um, in real life? I suppose it feels a bit different, but uh, I haven't played anyone. Well, I, okay, in the top ten, I played I played MVL and I played Aronian over the board, and it wasn't really that scary of, a, of an experience, I'd say. But um, I said playing them in any setting is obviously a great opportunity and an opportunity to test myself against the, the best, and um, that is obviously something uh, that I don't take for granted. Yeah, and again. You've made staggering progress, but obviously not at the level of a 2,800 player yet. So, and actually, I might as well ask you um, this Patreon mailbag question from Chris Wainscott um, along these themes. So thanks for supporting the pod, Chris. Chris asks, he says, now that you've made it to the top 100, it seems that 2,700 would be a reasonable next goal. What do you think you'll need to do differently to get there from where you are now? Or, and what do you think you'll need to do the same as you've been doing? Um, well, I think that one thing that you could say differently, which I've already done differently, but applying it uh, consistently, is choosing my tournaments more effectively. Um, over the past year of 2021, I played everything and anything, and it often end up playing against a lower average of opponents, which did hinder my development in some respect. However, just the sheer number of games was crucial for me um, to just gain that experience. So I think now I'm finding the right balance between training and playing in events. You know, as you mentioned with the Spring Classic, it's a strong Grand Robin event. Um, my next event is a strong Open. Then I'm playing it. You know, I'm sure we'll get into my schedule later. But yeah. I think choosing my chances, choosing my tournaments uh, to optimize the balance between training like an elite player, training like I'm preparing for a World Championship match, and then with good tournament tournament opportunities, with balancing rest, energy, and all those things. I think taking a more um, uh, objective and practical approach uh, will help me get there. But I also think that it's just, I personally just think it's absolutely impossible for me to fail at this point because I'm really just doing everything that I need to do and I'm investing every second of every day into improving my chess. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, just, I just think that it's impossible for me to to not reach what I'm achieving now with with how I'm working and the opportunities that I'm getting and the support of the Magnus group. And, you know, all this, I think, is just uh, manifesting into, into just um, chess success. It's just going to take some time and hard work for that to, to, to be seen. Yeah, we should mention you You have the title ambassador for Play Magnus Group. So I presume that means that they give you, I mean, obviously you do some things, you do some Twitch streams for them, you're playing in their Air Things events, um, but you get a bit of financial support to that kind of lightens the load of uh, all this time you're, sp- you're spending just studying. Yeah, you, you could say that they're definitely in, in support of, of my professional chess career and the, the support that they're giving, not just financially, is obviously um, in terms of the invites, it's just um, I think having that support behind me is absolutely crucial and, and, and really lets me focus on, on what needs to be done. 
Okay. Yeah. And getting back to what you were saying about finding the optimal balance between um, picking tournaments in terms of frequency, do you have a sense of like what the optimal amount of tournaments per year to play is? Well, if it was up to me, honestly, I would play nonstop, right? Um, but uh, because I, I just really enjoy playing chess and I still stand behind my my approach of experience. And that's not for everyone. Maybe it's just for me. But right now, I think I'd like to keep it, you know, it's got to be at least like 150 games uh, a year. Uh, this year, at least, uh, I think if I don't hit 150, it's going to be a bit disappointing. Um, I might not hit it. I think like 120, 130 might be more realistic, but I don't know how many divided by nine would be how many tournaments that'd be. So maybe I'd say 14 to, to, to 18. Yeah. So tournaments some, some, some leagues, something like but, a tournament, but quality week. tournaments, quality tournaments is important. And there's also quite a bit of online events to sort of keep me busy. But again, my main goal is, is to keep, you know, I've, I've spent some more time training now and I really feel like that training has been great. So I'm really ready to just play like a high volume of games now to show to show my improvement. Yeah, and how would you currently assess your your strengths and weaknesses as a player? What what are you, what's holding you back, and what are you excelling at? Um, I think I'm I'm excelling. Uh, we can start. Well, I'll start with what's holding me back. I think some things that are holding me back are are um, just sort of adjusting um, to being this twenty six fifty top one hundred player. Um, from being this 2480 international master, um, there's a, there's some, f- you know, from a decision making perspective. Uh, sometimes I forget that I'm actually uh, not this like uh, international master, right? Who can do whatever he wants. Um, <laughs> so now I have to take more of a serious and disciplined approach in my decision making uh, at some points. Um, just a more yeah, just a more serious approach. But uh, I think that. I'm excelling uh, in the fact that I'm working very hard. I'm very invested in chess. My physical shape is improving. My openings are improving dramatically. The team that I have surrounding me from a chess perspective um, with a coach, um, seconds, training partners, strong players supporting me, motivating me. um, I think that I've been able to sort of go from not having a coach for four years to having a a team uh, that's really ensuring uh, that 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 improvement is happening. And are you able to say who you're working with? No, I wouldn't. I, I don't really want to share that. But uh, they're they're my training partners are all very very strong players who uh, I am very happy to be working with. That's great. Yeah, and and getting back to your to what you said about failure not being possible. Um, how would you define failure? Like, I, I get that you're saying, like, you you have, you know, you're on a great traje- trajectory. You have an amazing amount of resources that I'm sure a lot of other uh, up and coming players w- would would be jealous of, uh, to be honest. Um, but what what would have to happen for you to feel like you didn't achieve your goal? Like, what goal would would not be reached? I think if I didn't, if I reach the top ten, then I think I will uh, assess my chess career as a failure. Wow, that's heady stuff, man. <laughs> I think my life is a failure as well. If you want to get deep, but, yeah. Well, uh, let's talk about the like life choices. I mean, again, y- you've you've perhaps given up more opportunities than than other people. I mean, I don't know, like what I don't know exactly what your income was from the Twitch stream, but is it fair to say it seemed like it could be like at minimum like a, a very well paying side job? Uh, yeah, no, I think that my trajectory of Twitch income, 
I think if I kept at it now, I'd probably be making a lot more money than I am now. But um, like I, I yeah, the when I when I stopped, it's not like I was at my peak, but I was still averaging like maybe seven, eight hundred viewers. And if I kept at it and kept, you know, it would have probably slowly grown. Um, so that my income, if you're like a, a thousand viewer average streamer with like a YouTube and like uh, an esports org, your income is going to be like probably 200K at minimum. If you market yourself well, even more, and the growth is just pretty stable. So I think considering that, most people might um, say that I'm taking risk, but I really just don't care about the money that I'm missing. I don't really see that as missed financial opportunity um, because the money has never really been important to me. It's more been about, about personal fulfillment and uh, chess competing. And, and that is just my passion. That That's a great attitude. And of course, with John, as we mentioned before, you also, you guys talked about the possibility of your going to, to university. You had applied to Harvard and said, if you got into Harvard, you'd have to give it strong consideration. Um, but otherwise, you you were unlikely to go go to university. So no, it's, you- it's funny. It's funny that I said that then, right? But but now when I think about that, I just think uh, I would have been such an idiot to go to Harvard. You know, I <laughs> uh, like I just think that um, if I went to Harvard, I would really. Uh, uh, I think me being rejected from Harvard is single handedly the best thing that's ever happened to me, and I thank them for wrongly rejecting me because I know I'm just too good for their school. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, they have, they have different criteria than 140 rating points in a year. I mean, it's amazing how many grandmasters have passed through that. School. Yeah. But, but the fact that they're like rejecting a six, like a 16 year old who was uh, like uh, living alone and had their own job and had a full scholarship to the best prep school in the country had great grades. The fact they rejected me, my essays, you would cry if you read my essays, man. Yeah. So they you- still rejected me. Yeah, you you wrote your cover stories with Chess Life, your cover story with Chess Life, I believe, around the same time. Yeah, I was on the cover of a magazine. They still rejected me, man. This you is know? true. So I don't I don't even care about getting going to school. I just wanted to be accepted, right. recognized as like I wanted to reject them just to be like, hey, like no one cares about Harvard. Your school is just you know uh, just a, a you know Wall Street uh, factory. <laughs> um, what did you write about for your uh, college essay? Well, I wrote about uh, one of my inspirations, um, which I, I, I mentioned in The Chess Life, which was uh, one of my coaches right, who passed away when I first started working with him, John Grief. He was the uh, U.S. champion in 1981. Yeah. And, uh, he was an international master, very, very strong player who unfortunately wasn't able to pursue his career just you know, because of financial problems. Uh, and those financial problems led to health issues. And he ended up dying an unfortunate early death. Um, but before he passed away, I was fortunate enough to work with him. Um, and, you know, that was just really, that was sort of the, the beginning of the invigoration of my passion for chess and something that I, 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 I wrote about in my chess life article um, and in the, um, in my essay and also you know i i worked with it was actually really unfortunate i was working with walter brown as well and i was i was the last person to play him yeah Um, and then he passed away so i I got to experience this really just these two really um passionate chess you know lifelong lovers of chess and see their passion and um at a really young age which sort of uh was was it was imprinted um uh 
and, and, and surely was, was, has been a motivating factor for the, for the rest of my career. Yeah. And you mentioned in the article that your first coach, he, he often was not even either taking less payment or taking no payment for his work with you. Uh, so the, so he, the payment wasn't, so he was taking, uh, his normal payment, but, um, the thing was that, uh, the well, I think it was actually a little bit less, but the point was that there was this uh, there was this sort of cafe, the Blue Danube, where people, um, a lot of the sort of older chess crowd would go up play coffee chess, you know, your traditional place, and um, I, I would actually go there um, and play, you know, for almost you know almost every other day, play blitz for hours against people five times, ten times my age. Um, and uh, this one guy, you know, I, I notoriously dressing like a homeless man was actually an extremely wealthy entrepreneur. Uh, and you would not, you could not tell if you looked at him and he offered to just pay the majority of the lessons. Uh, wow. uh, but it's just a very funny story because uh, the guy made it a, 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 a thing to, to dress in the m- most hideous way possible <laughs> uh, to just look the most run down, but he was uh, a very wealthy uh, chess philanthropist and uh, definitely got his dividends from those lessons. Interesting. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, Walter Brown, of course, legendary former um, grandmaster who has passed away. Um, what was it like uh, getting lessons from him? It was actually great because uh, we would, we would either meet at his house and uh, every time we'd go to his house, if it was at his house, there's this pizza place that I'd go to right before. It was honestly amazing. Obviously the chess was good as well. Um, and you know, he was just such a, 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 an energetic figure and we'd just play blitz games and it was just so interesting to see. And then the other place we would go to is, uh, he had won the U S open in chess. He was also a tennis player, but there's this, uh, club, um, this like, you know, fancy, uh, you know, members club in, in, uh, in the Bay area and he had a lifetime membership to it. So I would go and we played blitz by the pool and study and, you know, it, it was, it was a nice, it was a nice experience. So there's always some, it was a very chill, relaxed, you know, it wasn't really like, you know, your traditional Soviet intense training, but it was always a fun, fun experience and just chilling and and, and enjoying uh, the game of chess. And then in New York, you got the opportunity to work with uh, Grandmaster Max Lugi some, right? Yeah, that was actually, uh, it was more in, um, it was started remotely in, in California and then some in-person lessons uh, in, in New York as well. And I'm guessing a different teaching style than, than Walter Brown. Yeah, definitely a different teaching style. Uh, he sort of let laid the groundworks for my positional understanding. A lot of, you know, we, um, he, he laid the groundworks for a lot of my style. Um, again, another blitz specialist yeah. really based on intuition. So I think I got a great blitz foundation just got a great like intuitive chess foundation uh, from a very young age. And obviously like with the move online with things like air things, masters being a rapid time control, you know, Twitch streaming, catering to blitz. Like, is that something you think about a need to be good at speed chess? No, I just think I'm actually good at, good at it. And uh, you figure from- if you get better at like Daniel Naroditsky told me, the, the the only way for him to get better at bullet chess is to get better at slow chess. Do you sort of feel that way with uh, with Blitz? Uh, I don't know if I agree with that statement, but maybe I guess it's it's all it's all improvements, mainly personal. Maybe for me, I would I don't think my 
my regular chest will improve my my bullet to, to such a degree. Gotcha. But uh, I, I think my blitz just will not naturally improve as I improve as a chess player. Yeah. And um, I think it's more about natural improvement, not really uh, direct uh, uh, causation. Okay. And on the topic of coaches, we had another Patreon mailbag question. So thanks to Alex Friedman, as always, for supporting the pod. And he mentioned that, you know, you've worked with these coaches we just mentioned, but you've also worked on your own at times. Uh, so he's he's asking, would you recommend studying by yourself or with a coach uh, if 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 you could choose? It depends on your resources. Um, the thing for me is I don't really need someone to hold my hand and tell me to study and to motivate me. Um, I'm self-sufficient in that regard. Um, but if you're, if you feel like you need some guidance and you don't really know how to improve your game, then I'd recommend a coach. Um, but it's all within your affordability, right? Because coaching can be quite pricey. Um, I will say that I have for a lesson, the most I've had lessons where I've paid 250 an hour. Uh, so it can be quite pricey, which is something that can just sort of make you wonder how effective it is. But I think in general, the main improvement from chess should come from working on your own and from problem solving and figuring things out on your own. And I think you know yourself better than anyone, right? So as long as you can hold yourself accountable and be self-aware, then I think improvement doesn't need to come from a coach. Even I, I mean, and you feel that that's true sort of across the levels, because at the beginning levels, there are people who feel like the problem is they don't know what they don't know. And, you know, up in your stratosphere, it might feel like there's only a handful of people who are where you're trying to be, but you still feel like you can get there um, just through sheer grit. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's grit. I'd, I'd say it's more like the people that I see themselves as being helpful coaches to me the number is just so small right now, which is why the coach I'm working with is someone who's worked with our world champions, world championship candidates. Um, and uh, so it's like, I, I suppose there's some except uh, is some exceptions regarding coaches. Like if you're a total beginner, you probably want some coach to sort of give you some guidance, but there's so much online, um, sort of content that you can learn from with YouTube, you know, Tressable, all sorts of just free stuff that you can just use. Right. Yeah. It, it's, it's a golden age. Like if you're, if, if you can afford to have a coach, right. Get a coach, but don't, don't need to like, you know, I've seen people make financial sacrifices to your coaches, which I just don't recommend. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, and as I've mentioned before, I mean, for for listeners who are not, you know, needing a two hundred fifty dollar an hour coach, you can find online coaches for like fifteen twenty dollars an hour that are free day masters. So, um, something for listeners to keep in mind. But but Hans, we're gonna take a break, and then uh, I want I want to hear I want to go deeper on some of your recent tournaments. Our friends at Chessable keep dropping new courses. Some of their latest include 
Play the Open Sicilian One by Grandmaster Miguel Santos. That's got 15 trainable lines that you can use to play against the Open Sicilian kind of one-stop shopping for an opening that can be overwhelming to learn. And Friend of the Pod, Simon Williams, is out with The Harry Attack, fighting Kingside Fianchettos after 1D4, along with I Am Richard Palliser. And they've got tons of new stuff coming from Grandmaster Hans Neiman, Linear Dominguez, and the list goes on. And all of their courses, of course, utilize space repetition to help you remember the opening or tactical sequence or end game that you learn. So be sure to go to chessable.com and take a look at what is new. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we are back. So, Hans, let's get into your schedule. So you're in St. Louis now. You're going to play your next online event from there. And what else is there? What else is firmly booked for you? Yeah, I've got a great schedule, actually. So after after the, the event, um, I'll have like maybe two weeks to burn before going to, to Oslo. I mean, to Norway for an open event, the Fyrens uh, Chess International. Be strong event in Norway, 60-player open event then after that it ends the 17th of april next day i fly to the beautiful country of cuba wow and um i'll be playing the capablanca memorial which is a round robin invitational event with great historical uh value and reputation um it's become a bit strong less strong uh throughout the years and then after that i'll play that then I'll have, let's you know, another week and a half, two weeks until the Bundesliga, which I'll play, May 14th to 15th. So maybe spend some time in Europe, go to that all-inclusive resort I mentioned. Then from May 20th to 30th, I'm playing the Sharjah Masters, a strong open event. Um, so this is, yeah. And then in June, I have a, I have a great schedule. Uh, there might, I'm either playing the Summer Chess Classic. We'll see. You know, they haven't sent the invites out yet, but I am expecting one. Um so the Summer Chess Classic, ideally. And then I'll be going to, you know, it'd be great. I'll be going from Dubai all the way back to St. Louis. And then after that, I have to take another 24 hours of travel back to Armenia to go wow. to this to go to go this uh, tournament that's like, it's going to be a long travel because the place is like a three-hour drive from, from, from the capital. So then I'm going to play a round-robin event in Jermuk, the Stepan Avagian Memorial. And then after that, you know, I'll chill in uh, Armenia for a few days, play the Bundesliga, which will be five games. And maybe instead of the Bundesliga, I can come back for the World Open. I think it'll depend on my rating and if I'm in the mood to travel 24 hours back to America again. But it'll either be the Bundesliga. There's going to be the Beal uh, event coming up in July as well, which would be a strong open event. So, But I already expect to be quite high rated by then, so maybe I'll skip out on the open events and just stick to the round robins and leagues. But that's my tentative schedule. I've also got like the Polish league in, in, in September. I've got a round robin in August in, in Poland as well. So uh, hopefully things have settled down in Poland. Uh, yeah. In, in that region before I, 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 I spend two months there. Yeah. It's crazy how far out you're booked. Um, so 
do you think about like the in-between time in between tournaments? Um, like, you know, you're young, a lot, a, you know, some people might call what you're doing a gap year. I know you have bigger aspirations than that, but you know, tried and true tradition for Americans to like backpack through Europe. Do you, do you do any tourism in between rounds? Do you try to see any sites or are you just all business right now, Hans? Now I'm all business. Um, in the past, I would say that uh, I dabbled in certain, uh, um, I think when I had maybe friends with me in certain times, like uh, when I, when I was in, um, in, in Italy, when I did this interview with, with, uh, for the, for the cover story, I had some American friends with me right, and who I could hang out with and, and explore. But I would say that um, the one thing that the last year has taught me is that um, I think uh, business is business and uh, I need to stay focused and uh, there aren't any rooms room for, for distractions. You could say. Was there like a precipitating event that led to this realization, Hans? I wouldn't say it's a participating event. I would just say that it's a process of of maturing and and uh, aligning my priorities. Uh, so there's definitely no room for for any uh, uh, partying or, or romantic uh, ex- uh, adventures. No romance, huh? <laughs> no, no romance. No, no. Uh, no, no partying. No, in Europe, you know, there's you can drink, but no drinking. No, no partying. No romance. Uh, only, only business. And what do you think? Uh, you know, makes you so driven. I mean, you've mentioned obviously, and it's evident that that you love chess. Um, but like, is there? Do you have a sense of what it is that? Because a lot of people might not have. Um, the same the same approach in your situation well you know i i, I think i think that the, certainly distractions can arise uh when you're when I, the recent success has has definitely sent some distractions my way and i think a lot of players sort of get caught up in that uh i would say that a lot of the the, the top chess players are you'd say playboys <laughs> Although it doesn't get really, it gets sort of brushed under the rug because they're all like introverted nerds uh, in their interviews, um, or on the outside they might be perceived that way. Um, but I'd say that in chess, there's more ways to to as, as you improve uh, your your personal life. Might <laughs> I digress? You could say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those opportunities will remain there if, if your chess game remains strong, um, and maybe even if it doesn't. Um, but, but I mean, I guess what I'm getting at, Hans, is like ten to twelve hours is a lot, obviously, per day. Do mm-hmm. you are, like? Do you have days where you wake up and you just you'd rather not do it, or are you like fired up? Let's go every day. <laughs> well, what else am I gonna do? <laughs> there are a lot of things you could be doing, <laughs> as we just but, discussed. But if you could tell me. Uh, but I, I don't. But I just don't find enjoyment of those things. I just find no reason to 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 to. Uh, I think you can just uh, just look at how Fisher lives his life before insanity, and I think that's uh, the right way to do it. Right. I mean, I that, he's not I a think, great role model in a lot of respects. You know. Well, yeah, he's not a good role. Uh, yeah, but uh, his chess improved before you know things went uh, haywire. Um, the way that he approached the game was is absolutely inspiring, right? Like he would, he was working entirely alone. I think it's easier to work alone now, 
but he was working entirely alone. His he had a he was working. He had a set regimen. He was in great physical shape. He had no romance, no distractions. You know, he was totally focused, and you know it paid dividends, right? It did. But I mean, would you take his life if if you could say you can have Fisher's whole life? Would would you take it? Well, uh, been, uh, I'll answer that question with with another question and a response to that question. So someone once asked me, you know, uh, in a very stupid manner, they said, uh, are you the next, um, okay, you could just get anyone, right? You could say, are you the next Hikaru Nakamura? Are you the next uh, Magnus Carlsen? I say, I'm, I'm, Hans ne- I'm the next Hans Niemann, right? I think that's how I'll, I'll answer that, that, uh, that question. Yeah, I mean, but it's just Fisher was so unbalanced and obviously he paid tremendous consequences. I'm just saying. Like- well, yeah, I would say that the imbalance, you know, I, I'm quite a Fisher expert myself. And uh, I think the imbalance came from from external factors. I don't think it came from his chess. Actually, was something that that um, uh, minimized his external problems. Yeah, you're, right? others others have said that for sure. So. Yeah, no. So so I I I I I know a lot about Fisher, and I, I've read a lot about him from from a psychological perspective. If he hadn't have had, if he didn't have chess, I, I don't want to draw too many comparisons because I'd like to think that I'm sane. Um, uh, at this current point in my life, who knows what will happen <laughs> in the next ten years? Um, but the the chess was actually if he didn't have chess, he would have gone crazy. Uh, maybe at least thirty or forty years before. So from yeah, all psycho all psychological experts have that conclusion from his psyche um, that it was actually helping him. Um, and I suppose you know I, I don't know I, I, I obviously you know his personal beliefs you know. Are, are quite polarizing and sort of taint a lot of reputation, but um, I do think that he had a lot of valid reasons to 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 have the paranoia that he, that he had, um, and especially if you read about his mother. I, we don't need to go on like a whole tyrant, but I'm quite the Bobby Fisher specialist. Like you know, his mother was being like spied on from by the FBI. Right, it's like, true. Yeah, like you know, he had full reason to be paranoid, um, and I, I I wouldn't be surprised if half the thing, although he went crazy. Uh, I, I tend to question uh, what caused him to go crazy, uh, whether it was his personal uh, or some other outside factor. But that's just a conspiracy theorist in me. Oh, uh, you got it. You can't leave it there. What What are you alleging specifically? <laughs> so, okay, you know, I, 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 my personal opinion is that um, chess was sort of what what helped him, and that he was he he was drove driven into madness by um, external factors. Let's say that's my okay. opinion. Okay. I, I don't. I don't think it was of his own volition that, that he 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 went mad. I think it was outside factors, um, organizations, people. I don't know. Uh, we, this this might be a, a, a place where people don't agree with me, but that's my personal opinion from all the all of my knowledge of Bobby Fischer. Okay, and obviously it sounds like you you've done some reading about Fischer, but you're also in that sort of rare air of chess players where stories are probably handed down to you as well. So have, have you like heard firsthand stories about Fisher? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I know I've heard quite a few firsthand stories about Fisher. So I know a lot about Fisher from that. I, that I guess the general public doesn't know. Let's just say that there's one person that, uh, knew him better than anyone that, uh, I've had the opportunity to speak to and read first. You know, I've read letters, that no one's ever seen. I, I I don't know. I've just been able to. I've I've been lucky to have access to to information about him. 
Yeah, fast, endlessly fascinating, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, well, Hans, we got to take one more break, and then I want to get the uh, Dubai trip report. So uh, can you hang in there? Sure. Awesome. Listeners, I just got an update from aimchess.com, and unfortunately, I'm still behind on the clock 72% of the time. Working to get better, progress is not just a straight line upward, but I am getting better in the other aspects of your game, which Aim Chess can measure, which are openings, tactics, endings, advantage, capitalization, and resourcefulness. And of course, Aim Chess automatically gathers your games from the major chess playing sites to give you actionable insights and even quiz you on tactics that you may have missed during your game. So please go to aimchess.com and check out the product. And if you do decide to subscribe, use the promo code perpetual30 to get a discount on aimchess.com. Perpetual Chess is brought to you in part by betterhelp.com. If you're struggling with depression, anxiety, or another mental health issue, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist in under 48 hours. It's professional therapy done securely online. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions or send a message to your therapist as needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. If you go to their website, you'll see lots of testimonials such as this one. Working with Kendall Bradford on transforming my thought patterns has been very helpful on my journey to improve my mental health. You'll read lots of others like that as well if you go to the website betterhelp.com slash chess that's betterhelp h-e-l-p dot com slash chess and and if you use that url you get 10 percent off for your first month of use more details are in the show description and we are back and hans we've obviously spent a lot of time talking about the world championships um uh, on this program um but you had a unique perspective it was fun seeing you run around with your little video clips and then there you are in the press conference doing like blindfold postmortems with like magnus and nepo i mean when when you reflect on on your time in dubai of course you were making a course for chessable um uh, analyzing each game, like w- what do you think you'll remember most from from that? Just has to be a crazy experience for a teenager. Um, I think I remember uh, my my f- football uh, performance with Magnus. How to go? <laughs> well, the first one wasn't great. You know, it was like first time playing in a really long time, and we were playing on grass, and we couldn't wear shoes. Or socks because we wouldn't want to injure Magnus, of course. Um, and and that was just a really I was just off my game. Um, I'm usually pretty pretty uh, uh, generally athletic and played it quite a bit, but that was not a great day. And then we played the second time, and it was it was actually it was it was quite good. I spoke to Magnus about it after, and he was like, "Yeah, man, you know, he, he improved quite a bit on that on that second day." <laughs> so I remember that just being a, a an interesting experience to to interact with magnus um i think it was obviously a, a unique experience to, to be in dubai um and play and play, play an event while i was there I, I even played this rapid event there so it was just sort of it was a great trip and it was after such an intense year um where this trip was really just um the first time i'd sat back and relaxed and I guess my version of relaxing was being a full-time reporter from Dubai. <laughs> <laughs> that was my vacation, um, which I, you could say it was a vacation in some respect. I spent some time at the pool, 
Um, for a portion of the event, I got to stay in the hotel inside the expo, which was ridiculously convenient. Um, so I would say that there were some highlights and um, it was definitely a, a once in a lifetime experience, uh, which is why I agreed to do it. Um, I even canceled some of the tournaments just to play this. Uh, so it was, I think the first time I'd decided to not play a chess tournament. Wow. Um, that was quite a big step for me, but I guess, uh, it had its pros and cons, you could say. And you've mentioned your your ambition as a chess player. You know, you're someone who would like to to play on that stage someday. So were you sort of taking notes from that perspective as well? Uh, I, I, you could maybe subconsciously or so, sort of consciously taking notes. It was interesting to follow. Um, definitely seeing it face-to-face was definitely informative um, and just to see the, the, the approaches and the opening approaches was really interesting as well. Um, so what struck you there? Like what, how did it, I think, I think the, the Magnus, the, the preparation, the, the style, the approach, right. He, he took this approach to where he wanted to, with the black pieces, simply equalize, um, but equalize in a, not from a not from a concrete direct perspective, right? He wanted to just play slow chess and slowly improve, and you know, just, he he did he did exactly that. Um, and then from Nepo to just see the psychological um, deterioration um, after that game six was just crazy to see. Um, he simply just, uh, I guess it's uh, you, there's just psychologically it becomes an irreparable situation once such a blow has happened, has occurred. So it's definitely made me think about how I, how we recover from tough losses. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So like, but is that something that can be like workshopped? Is that something that can be visualized? Absolutely. 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 And I think, you know, recently this is something that, that, that I've sort of looked at and, you know, my results lately haven't been great. Um, like it's it's funny because I've played my last three classical events, and I would, if you ask me these events, I would regard them as utter and absolute failures and the worst representation of my chess possible. And in these three events, I lost eight rating points, which to me is like a huge disaster. And I want to jump off a bridge at the thought of that, right? But the thing that's sort of helped me power through. Such such difficult times, you know, losing eight rating points. Uh, I'm am such a I have such a sad life. Uh, but <laughs> as some people remind me, and I I have such a terrible life, right? Like I just I lost eight rating points, and I want to jump off a bridge, you know. But anyways, not to joke about something serious. But uh, the the point is uh, that, that I'm slowly getting at is that having this sort of mindset of I'm going to work as hard as possible. I want to do everything I can, no matter what. And the results will come in due time. I think that mindset is something that I've been training myself to have and has helped me bounce back from difficult wins, difficult losses. Um, like in the middle of my event in the summer classic, you know, obviously the end was just d- disastrous. Um, but I lost this game mid in the event and then I came back with a beautiful win right after that, right? So it's sort of staggering things and I'm still working on it, right? But I'm just a very emotional a player, so I'm I'm prone to sort of big swings in my results, which is why I need sort of a larger volume of games to really show my true strength. Um, 
And, you know, um, there's been at the top level, there's players who are considered sort of uneven. And then there's players who are considered very consistent. And maybe the uneven players have like a higher high. Um, is that something like, is that something you would think if you were to continue to advance, is that something you think you would carry forward? Or is that, are you trying to sort of raise, raise your B game or C game or whatever it is? I, I think that for me, to play chess at an extremely high level, a level comparable to the top players of the world, has not been the issue to produce that in singular games, singular moments, singular tournaments, right? The issue has been to raise my level of consistency, has been to raise my general level and to raise my lowest level, right? Um, when I look at my last event, um, I, I, it was uh, you know nine games, two wins, three losses, uh, four draws. I regard this, of course, as a massive disappointment, losing my last two games. And obviously, it's disappointing and, and, and terrible, right? However, the the way that I look at that, the mindset you have is the two games that I won were, and I think I'm being humble, but they were absolute master classes. And the games, I honestly could not look back and, 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 and change anything about how I played which shows that the things that I'm working on, things that I'm training are having some results, right? But it's just that for them to be applied in a specific setting, sort of, I'm not fully in control of that, right? Because circumstances, of course, play a factor in chess, right? There's such a thing as luck, unfortunately, in chess, or circumstances or make your like, it's, you know, anyway, the point is that I'm mainly sort of focusing on training certain things, and optimizing my level. So when I see, see a bad event, but then when I see two games that are absolutely perfect, I see sort of potential, right? Because I just need to lower my... my, my raise my your floor, level. yeah. Yeah, raise my floor, yeah, exactly. I just need to raise my floor and, and keep on working. And I sort of have uh, faith and confidence in myself that things will work themselves out if I keep on doing everything right. Yeah, I saw your post-game interview from round seven. I believe that might have been one of the wins you're referring to against Antipov. Um, Correct. And yeah, a great game. And obviously you were kind of glowing in a good spirit, but you also mentioned in, in your interview with Alejandro Ramirez that, that in, from prior rounds, you weren't happy with how you managed your nerves in the critical moment. And obviously that's also something you picked up on in watching Magnus and Nepo up close. So I'm just curious, Hans, like, like again, how, how does someone work on that at, at your level? I think it's a combination of experience and training. I think uh, maybe it wasn't necessarily my nerves, but my, my calculation. I felt it was just an issue. Um, so but I'm that's definitely... that's a reassuring in a sense, right? Because calculation is something through hard work, you should yeah. get results, especially. Yeah, like... I think, you know, you, you can call me humble or arrogant, but I think that um, I'm just an, an immensely, I've been blessed with, with, with a talent for chess and this sort of intuitive feel and talent, right? So I feel like from, uh, I have, I, I, you know, again, I've been, I sort of have accepted the the arrogant label and, and hope that they use the word confident instead, but I'm pretty comfortable with that. But, you know, I feel very, very confident in my natural ability and my ability just to be, to play chess. Um, I just feel like with my young age and with my lack of experience in top level chess, there's still some things that need to just be improved and learned from experience. And there's a lot of work to be done because you should consider in this full year where I had this insane improvement, I wasn't training. I wasn't spending 10, 12 hours a day training, you know, I was, um, you know, uh, enjoying life. I had, I had a normal life. I was, you know, let's say had some romantic uh, endeavors. I um, wasn't training. I had the stupid school thing that I had to go to. Um, 
you know, I had all these distractions, right? Um, you could say distractions, you know, it's, it's debatable, right? Depending. Right. Uh, I don't know. I, 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 I see them as distractions now in hindsight. But it's funny because you, you can look at my time now and you can be like, well, why don't you continue that lifestyle? Well, the thing is that results aren't always reflective of your natural improvement, right? Like results are, are never – until you have a, a large sample size of over a year, I just think that looking at one specific tournament and regarding it as a, as a degree of – or, or as a representation of improvement is just so stupid. I think looking at a, a whole year – or uh, uh, you know, fifteen hundred games is just much more accurate way of determining improvement. And, and I think that throughout this year, I'm sort of just it might not be seen now or or in a few months, but I think in the long term, right? That's sort of where you can make strides in terms of the nerves and calculation and hard work, right? I think from my experience, everything has sort of just come together, and I've reached these plateaus. I keep on pushing and working, and then suddenly I'm. I, I go up 100 points right after that work sort of um, comes to fruition and everything just sort of clicks at some point. That's just how it is for me. Um, now, let me ask you, Hans, because, I mean, again, the, the drive is admirable, but it seems kind of like you're you're pointing things you painting things rather, sorry, sort of black and white. Like you mentioned, like trying to avoid romantic relationships and don't want to do any partying, doing 12 hours a day. But do you ever think like I could do nine hours a day and like, you know, ha- have someone to lean on and like have a little bit of fun? Like, do you think about well, like just bringing it down a notch or two? No, I don't. Because, um, uh, let, you know, let's just look at uh, let's talk about Kanye. How familiar are you with Kanye? I mean, I, I'm halfway through the Netflix documentary. Okay, great. Amazing, 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 amazing. <laughs> We're going to reference Kanye's Netflix documentary here, okay? Yeah, it's called Gen- Genius. And I yes. guess just to give any non-listeners a bit of context, or maybe Hans, you want to, but obviously kind of a tortured soul, but knew he was going to be successful from a young age. Go go ahead, Hans. So, you know, obviously, I guess I, comparing myself to people who have since gone into uh, mental... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. It's not the... From a theoretical... Like, this might not be the best look. However... I would say that I have a unique respect and admiration for what they've done. Now, when I look at Kanye's documentary and I look at the way that he commit himself and I look at the way the other greats have invested and thrown, I think it's just, you know, there are parts of me that sometimes would be like, you know, wow, you know, I'm just, I'm just such a charming, you know, good looking guy. You know, all these girls are just, you know, all, all trying, you know, I could have so much fun, you know? And as, as, as humble as that sounds, it just doesn't once, – once you make the, the decision, I think that chess is the ultimate goal and that the life's purpose is to improve and to, to fulfill that passion and fulfill that potential. I think all those things just become secondary. And I think I've had that realization and sort of made that deal with myself. You know, let's compare myself to like a mentally sane person, Kobe. <laughs> okay, um, maybe sane, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, you know, just look, look, look at his, his – uh, his work ethic, right? Working, waking up at 4 a.m. every day, training, you know, a lot of the ways that he talks about optimizing training and just hard work and, and, and uh, you know, working four hours every day. It's not just four hours every day. It's, it's um, you know, a thousand extra hours a year, right? It's, it's, it's that small difference, that hard work, that full devotion to one thing. And I think when you found sort of a passion in a, in a, in a, a talent, I just – 
would feel so like a wasting my life if I didn't fulfill that true potential. If I went to, you know, for example, went to Harvard and uh, became a, you know, a corporate sellout, right. That would just be so sad, right. Because I, I had so much potential, had this natural gift and I didn't fully pursue that because I wanted to, you know, uh, go to some frat parties and, and have a college experience. I think that is just such a, a sad way to approach life. Okay. But like playing devil's advocate, like, you're making a course for Chessable, Jabova London, Lifetime Repertoires, coming soon, listeners. Um, maybe even out by the time this interview comes out. Like one could argue like that's choosing commerce over art, air quotes, right? I mean, I'm sure it helps your chess. Well, no, it- no, I wouldn't say that because because uh, uh, in, th- in that regard, if you want to go to the brutal honest point, um, uh, you know, I can say every Chessable author can talk about how much they want to help people improve. At the bottom line, right? It's it's a it's a way to support yourself, right? Right. And what people need to understand is that, as a professional chess player who doesn't have the support of, uh, who doesn't have the financial support, parental support, uh, the financial the the financial support from parents, or the direct sponsorship, okay, which I do have now. But you have to understand that um, first of all, it's not cheap, right? To 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 work on chess. I am renting, you know, cloud servers. I think I, I'll probably estimate I'll spend like, you know, six to $8,000, you know, every year renting wow. high-powered Man. cloud servers, right? To, to, to optimize, to make sure my training and my engine analysis at the highest level. Then I have, you know, a, a coach, right? Which, 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 you know, 250 an hour, 300 an hour, you buy in blocks, right? That's more money, right? Then I have my living expenses, I have my travel expenses, not at all, which are covered by events. Like this is to to ensure that I can spend twelve hours a day training with zero distractions in my with with my pool in my gym in my spacious wherever I'm staying. There, there's a price, right? And something needs to fund that. Something needs to be supported by that. So that's why you know measures need to be taken, right? And you need to be a public figure. You need to do all these things. But at the end of the day the sacrifice and time that I'm making doing these other things is only a short-term sacrifice, right? And it's a sacrifice that I acknowledge that you have to make. It's not like I can be some, some full, you know, like isolated player and just never like do anything. Like you'd have no money to do it. Right. Right. Um, All right. Fair point. And, and Hans, I mean, you've mentioned again in, in your interview with John Hartman, you mentioned, um, or, and I think in your chess life article as well, that, as a teen and maybe even preteen, by the way, we should mention for listeners, you started chess at eight, which again, for, for your level, like it, it hurts my heart a little to say it, but that's kind of a late start. Um, it is, it is. Um, so playing catch up from the beginning, but you mentioned you didn't have a great work ethic as a kid, but you did then later refer to reading a, a positional play by Grandmaster Agard. And, you know, our listeners are always curious for uh, resource recommendations. Um, so are you reading chess books now? And do you have any that were particularly formative for you? Yeah. Well, you know, as you mentioned, the sacrifice of commerce and art, I genuinely do recommend my chessable course. For a white repertoire, it's, you know, I was something that I even recommended to my students when I was teaching. I think it's the, here's what I recommend if you're a new player. You need to find... One opening with white, you're going to play. You're going to pick one opening with black. You're going to play one against e4, one against d4, and you're going to you need to stick to this, stick to one opening, and learn this opening and develop for this opening, because then you can really start to understand the, the fine inner workings of it, right? 
so that's number one, right? I think you should stick with that own epic. Okay. Other than, other than the chessable plug, um, I think that in terms of books, the Agar has a great line of the Grandmaster Preparation series, which I recommend to all, you know, uh, NMs, FMs plus trying to become IMs and GMs. Um, I just bought the Devoretsky and Game books, which I have never read, but I have bought them both at the St. Louis Chess Club. Um, on my bedside table, I'm reading this book about Capablanca, um, which the, the house just has a library, which I've been reading. Is it a biography or like it's a... The bi- I think it's 100 Greatest Games, Capablanca. I've been, okay. re- I've been reading his memoir. It's, it's very, very fascinating. Um, so that's a nice, uh, nice read before bed. But not like part of your training, really. Uh, you could, I think, I think it could be part of my training. Right, it's always interesting to read about other great chess players and learn from that. I think that a lot of the um, greats in any field study the greats of other fields, and I think I, I tend to take inspiration from people who are successful in other fields. So who, who besides Kanye and Kobe? Anyone else? Um, you know, Kanye, Kobe, Fisher. I don't really. I think I, I don't really idolize too many people. Um, those are the ones that I I I, I would say that I'm. And I as know like a lot about. And as a young player, Hans, you know, obviously making your way on the circuit with all this traveling you're doing, I'm sure you're getting to meet a lot of sort of grizzled vets. Have you gotten any particularly good advice? Um, yeah, I've actually had the, the the opportunity to interact with like a lot of the top players. You know. Like, Magnus, I hung out with a bit. Um, Did he give you any advice? Uh, not really. Besides advice. soccer, football. I wouldn't really, I, yeah, I wouldn't, wouldn't really want to ask him for advice because I think that would give him the feeling that he's better than me, and I still want him to think that I think that I'll be better than him one day. Right? I don't want to give him that psychological edge um, of fear. Uh-huh. Because honestly, I think uh, Magnus's edge, I think, res- comes a lot from his opponents just being really af- afraid and treating right. him differently. Um, so I think like a lot of, you know, people have said like the younger players can do well against Magnus because they don't, they're not really afraid of him. Right. Um, they're not really, some people might idolize him, but I, I, I just don't think, I think if you're afraid of any player, it sort of can really affect your game. But yeah, I think Anish told me I should work on my openings just as a general advice. He was like, yeah, work on your openings. They're probably really bad. I was like, thanks, man. Yermo uh, wrote that in one of the uh, recaps of uh, of uh, the Spring Chess Classic. He said, you, you show a lot of talent, but your openings need improvement. From about, about the Spring Chess Classic, really? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if that was like a broader observation, but in one I don't of know. His, my, my, my openings? Or actually, well, it might have been the air things. I apologize. But Yermo wrote it. Um, <coughs> I think it was the air things. But yeah, the it was the air Chess Classic, my, my openings were actually a big improvement from the air thing. From the, yeah, I think I, I yeah I think I, I agree with that. Like I, I beat my first day in that event, I beat Aronian and Duda um, quite dominantly. So I think that the second event's going to go a lot better. Like the first event was just such a nervous, um, not nervous, but I don't know. I think um, it was just the first time playing in such an event, and and I guess with some bad luck and some unfortunate mouse slips, thing things went uh, unfortunately wrong there. But I think I showed flashes of what I can do, and at the highest level, it's just uh, there's some uh, growing pains. Uh, you could say makes sense and i'm sorry that i that i kind of cut you off there D- you were mentioning that anish gave you advice was there was there anyone else uh anything else noteworthy yeah, I've, talk, I've talked to like maxime uh he's given me some decent advice i don't know i've become friendly with a lot of these guys 
um, built a, a rapport, not with rapport yet, but uh, I you built have a, a rapport with him. Yeah, yeah, not yet. Sorry, but, uh, had to do it. Um, yeah, but I think I've developed. You know, I'm a pretty social guy in some settings. So after and, the tournament's over, I, I can be pretty social, so I, I find it easy to, to, get, to get along with these these players. And what do you think of uh, the number one 18 year old uh, Ali Reza? Well, obviously a uh, big talent. Um, I think right now he's. Uh, I feel like when someone's of a young age, people tend to, to not to be negative, but people tend to sort of uh, put a lot of pressure and promise just because someone's young, which, you know, obviously he's shown amazing promise. He's 18, right? He's, he's born a, a day before me. Um, but I would say that like, you know, I think he's great. I just don't know if he's like going to be world champion next. Right. That's my, that's my take. I think that everyone's a lot of people might just be like, oh yeah, he's an actual champion, but it's not really that that simple. Uh, so I think I'm very curious to see how he'll do in the candidates. He's been taking a long break from playing. So, did you have an opinion? You know, it was reported that he couldn't agree to conditions to play in Vikanze. Um, as as someone, you know that could have been invited uh like did, did you have an opinion on that decision well i was actually trying to get in the b group for tata steel um i was actually the funny thing is i was actually waiting if someone tested i was almost in the b group as a replacement because of COVID things and i was waiting in italy to hear if i was going to get invited and i got the negative test i was like okay i can fly home to america if i want and I chose to stay in Europe just so I could play Tata. And then I tested positive. <laughs> That's funny. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I actually, I have great respect for actually what he did. Um, I think that it was the absolute right thing to do. And I think that personally, um, I think a lot of players need to take stands against organizers to ensure the best conditions. Although I have a, a I think that the organizer is a very nice guy and I hope to play the event in the future. I will say that I, um, think that him taking a stand and making a personal sacrifice to to make, to show that players deserve uh, the best conditions is is uh, something I personally uh, respect. And uh, if I was in the same situation, would do the same. Now, just to push back a little bit, I mean, obviously, chess has been on a great trajectory over the past few years and is generating income uh, for more people than ever in ways that it wasn't previously. But my perspective still is that these elite events are not generating revenue for the people staging them, right? I mean, so it's, you know, you could break the whole scale if you just start, if more and more people are making more demands for tournaments. Now, maybe that, maybe they, maybe the whole business model needs to change, but just to me, it seems like a risk. Well, I think that um, the Tata Steel event, um, which some people might not notice, has lost. Uh, I, I feel like I, I don't want to disparage the event because I would like to be invited there. But I, I'll give my honest opinion. The it has lost a little bit of the prestige, and has lost its strength throughout the previous years. Um, you'll notice that the average rating of the challengers group, especially, was ex- significantly lower than the previous year. And you'll notice that the average rating of the A group has also gone down. Now, Tata, you know, Vike is such a historical event with such great prestige. 
that I believe that it is their duty, you know, to, when there's a, a number two player of Ferruja's caliber and age, that they should show the proper respect, even in consideration of the previous year's incident, to give him the conditions, right, that he, that he asked for, obviously within reasonable demands. But I think that in terms of maintaining, if they want to maintain Vike as the 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 strongest round robin in the world, as the most historical, the most prestigious, the most amazing uh, uh, event of the year, then I think it's then I think that they should go to the measures needed to get the best players to play. And it seems like they've been inviting players of lower rating. They've sort of you know gone to a lower scale which you could arguably say is mixing things up. You could arguably say it's it's making it less prestigious because it's not as strong. But I, I think that's my perspective, right? I think if, if, if this is such a, if this is like, if Vikonze is the event that's been, uh, uh, then strong players have been playing in for the past 150 years, then I think they should be able to afford to have the number one and two players play. Uh, okay, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'll just leave it at, I'm sympathetic to the organizers, but uh, but. I, but it's not I really a for-profit event, right? Like it's yeah. a sponsor, and the yeah. sponsor. I think, I think, um, I think that their budget's been cut. Uh, right. Yeah. And, exactly. And, and that's um, disappointing, right? But if, if the budget's cut, right, then 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 I think you shouldn't expect to be able to bring in a name like Ferruja, right? Because if okay. if you're spending all your money on getting Magnus, right, and then you can get Magnus, but you can't get Ferruja, you can't get um, the other guys, right? What is it really? Uh, gotcha. And the prize fund there is also not even that great. Right, like the pr- players are are only like ten thousand for first, and such an event is really just nothing. As crazy as that sounds, to most people, they're relying on their appearance fees. I think, I I think that cons- I think that compensation for the previous event was obviously necessary. Uh, what happened when they interrupted his game, and then also just him being Ferruja and being number two in the world, I think he deserves. Hans, hearing you talk about this stuff, do you, do you have people who can give you advice on like what to ask for for a tournament and stuff like that? Yeah, there's not. Yeah, this is another issue, right? There's not really like a negotiation phase at my level, right? Because in some respects, I can negotiate, um, but it's a certain point, right? The organizer is just like, okay, you know, it's, this is what it is, and it is what it is, right? So I usually, uh, you know, do the opposite of Ferruja. And because I'm not really in a position where I can make that principled stand, right? Because it's it, you know, debating over five hundred thousand dollars in regards to not playing an event, it's just not worth it for me um, at this current moment, right? Once I'm in a more established position, I w- I fully intend on making more principled decisions um, in regards to rejecting conditions that I just don't deem f- uh, fair. But in this current moment, right, it's not like I'm getting the best conditions all the tournaments I'm playing right I'm usually making some sacrifices just so I can play the best events for example there's a certain event that's very strong where they just couldn't they just couldn't afford paying for my entire flight so I was like okay give me this amount I'll, I'll pay for the rest I want to play the event right and that's a sacrifice you have to make and uh, a, a, you know, a principle you have to sacrifice in the, in the side of greater good or yeah. improving the chess right yeah, well, hopefully it's an investment that will pay off. Well, Hans, we've been longer than we said. The one, the one topic I wanted to ask you about that we haven't gotten to yet, if you're up for it, is sure. Um, you were a, a top cyclist briefly as a kid, so I'm just curious if you feel like that has informed your your chess success at all. 
Yeah, I was, I was extremely competitive um, in sports at a very young age. I started competing in cycling in the Netherlands, and um, I was racing ri- ridiculous amounts. Um, I was also uh, really into water polo. Um, so those are my two really intense sports that I was extremely competitive at. And cycling, once I came to America, I was like the number three cyclist under 12. I was traveling a lot. Um, uh, yeah, I was, I was pretty good at that. Um, and I guess the, the, the competitiveness and the, the same skills um, that you apply to improving and uh, persevering in any sport, I think apply to chess and, and cycling and water polo and swimming and tennis and whatever. Um, so that really was the beginning of my competitive nature. Um, but I eventually gave up cycling and water polo for chess. Um, and you've mentioned you do feel like you have a talent for chess. Do you do you think much about like to what extent is my success talent compared to to hard work? Um, I think at the early point it was all talent. Uh, I think up until like I got to like twenty four hundred USCF, twenty three hundred feet a just on pure talent alone, just on playing blitz and just chilling and just watching Netflix all day. <laughs> And then later on, I had to persevere through hard work, and then talent sort of took over at some point. But I think that, yeah, the, 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 the run from like 2480 to 2650, I would say was a mix of hard work and talent coming together. I would say that when I was 2480, I wasn't really 2480. Like I, I, I think for me, my rating, um, the potential, I think I always sort of have a um, – the ability to perform significantly above my rating. Um, but it's just a matter of how long it takes for me to like make that a consistent level. So I think for me, it's just a constant battle of raising my, my floor. Um, okay. And that's just the, 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 the main thing that I think will lead to, to improvement. Okay. Well, Hans, this has been an amazing interview. I'll, I'll definitely be rooting for you to raise that floor and uh, look, looking forward to, to watching all your chess and, your, and checking out your chessable course. Uh, as we record, it's not out yet, but by the time listeners hear this, it likely, likely will be. Yeah, I'm going to start the recording tomorrow and uh, hopefully it'll be out uh, as soon as possible. This is like the first I did. I did a course a while back, but this is the first like really intense course that I'm doing. So it's the first time. It'll be, it'll be interesting. So Job of a London, Lifetime Repertoires, and you've got some spice in there for, for the, the, the chess amateurs? Yeah, a lot of G4. This is, this is a course for players of all levels. Anyone can play. Super simple. There's a lot of pushing G4. <laughs> um, there's a lot of uh, interesting stuff. And it's something that uh, I not only recommend, but played myself, right? I played it in the Air Things Masters, beat Duda, beat Kostinuk, I beat Dubov, you know, I beat so many top players with the opening and something in the world blitz, uh, world rap world blitz championship. I played it every single game with white and I scored my percentage with white was ridiculously high. Um, I guess I wish I could play it with black as well. And that's, <laughs> it's funny because I, the endorsement is not even, you know, like, uh, a, a lot of people might suggest openings and I play them, but I am, uh, my, all the model games actually that I'm using are all mine. <laughs> nice. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm, I've created my own, my own little jungle of theory. Excellent. Well, we'll look forward to checking it out and, and look forward to seeing over the board. And uh, I, I know you've, you've got a Twitter account. You've got your, your, your Twitch account still going. Are those the best ways to keep up with you, Hans? Yeah, I think uh, Twitter is fun. Um, I'm not a big social media guy, but um, 
as the brand ambassador of Play Magnus Group, I, I do what I can to promote them. Um, Excellent. But, so that's that's sort of my, I will, um, I actually block, like, uh, this might be an interesting thing. I have a, a, a thing that blocks all social media on my computer to optimize my productivity. So if I, if I press a button, no Twitter, no Instagram, no Facebook, no Messenger, just chess, just chess, chess base, chess base. And, uh, and, and, and chess24.com are the only websites that I allow myself to go to. Well, I'm hoping this uh, monk life existence, monk like existence pays dividends in the long run. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Well, uh, you know, I got to go to sleep so I can wake up for my 4 a.m. run, of course. Uh, uh. <laughs> All right, we'll let you get to it. Thanks a lot, Hans. Really an amazing interview. So, and looking forward to, uh, to your chess in future months and years. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who helps make Perpetual Chess possible. Big shout out to my producer, Matthew Passy. I'd also like to thank the Blue Wire Podcast Network, with whom we are proud to be affiliated. Be sure to follow us on social media, Official one on Twitter, at Perpetual Chess on Instagram, and or you can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group. You can email me, ben at perpetualchesspod.com. And of course, last but not least, I'd like to give major thanks to the Perpetual Chess Patreon and PayPal supporters. Those who choose to join that community based on their level of support can do things like submit questions for guests of the show, have access to live Zoom Q&A lectures with grandmasters who often have appeared on the show, going over chess games, answering questions, stuff like that. And you can even get access to ad-free perpetual chess if that's your preference. So, But most of all, thanks to everyone for listening, and we will catch you all on the next episode. Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.